by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Let me ask you guys a question. How many people in this room, if you say, hey, I'm a Christian, I know Jesus, I believe that Jesus is God, 100% God, came to this earth as a man, died on a cross for my sin, rose himself from the dead, and he's living forever. If you believe that, you say, I'm a Christian, put one hand in the air for me. I want to know who I'm talking to this morning. Okay. So you say, hey, I'm, I'm born again. I'm totally and completely a new creation, right? I don't do any of my old ways. I don't put both their hands in the air. You say, hey, I'm 100% living for Jesus. He is my king. He is my Lord. I'm following him. I'm serving him. Awesome. Thank you. All right. I believe we're in a room full of believers today, so I just wanted to know how to talk. I want to know if it was all family or if there's some people that aren't following Jesus yet. So let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much that we're here today with all brothers and sisters. I thank you, Father God, that you would speak this morning. I thank you for the way that you've already speaking this morning through Chad and Guy and Mark, and Mary, and I thank you, Lord, that you continue to speak through me right now, and I thank you that your will is done in this place, that your word is proclaimed, that we would all be encouraged and ready to live for you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can I just be honest with you guys? I sin sometimes. I try really, really hard not to. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this about the pastor, but I'm friends with Pastor Guy, and I happen to know that he sins from time to time but it's on rare occasions, and he tries really hard not to, okay? Is that cool? All right? Does anybody else in here ever, like, sin or anything? Okay, right? Like, we're not perfect. We're humans, okay? Uh, But the weird thing is, like, we feel like we have to. We feel like it's going to keep happening. We're going to keep slipping up, doing something wrong, making the wrong choices. Not even a mistake, just actively choosing to do the wrong thing. But that's not biblical, like, we don't need to do that. If you turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, and every scripture verse that is slow for getting on the screen today, that is my fault. That is not the media person's fault. So everybody go ahead and use your own Bible or your Bible app if you can. LEV, Leviticus eleven forty-five says, For I, the Lord... And the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy, because I am holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. So anybody that's come to Passion Church before and listened to Pastor Guy, he's told us, That Egypt is a type shadow for the world, okay? So Yahweh is speaking to the Israelites. He's saying, I, the Lord, I'm the one that took you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one that took you out of the world, took you out of where you were a slave to sin. Took you out of where you were a slave to sin, that I might be your God. Therefore, You must be holy as I am holy. God took us out of the world, took us out of our old life, so that we can have freedom in him and he can be our God instead of the things of this world being our God. Now sometimes, even as Christians, we still make the things of this world our God. What contributes, what factors contribute to the decision-making processes in your life? Do you just 100% all of the time only do what God would have you do? Okay? Or is sometimes, are there other factors? Are like, hey, what would my friends want me to do? What do I want to do? What would make me feel good? What would I want to do with my family? What about for money? 
What would I do for money? Or to save some time to get some more free time? Okay? Are there other factors contributing? Or is God our only God? Because God said when he took the Israelites out of Egypt so that he can be their God, so that he can be our God. He pulled us out of the world, pulled us out of our old ways, pulled us out of our sin so that he can be our God. And now we can be holy because he is holy. Holy means set apart, separate, free from sin, transcending above the normal. We can do that. God wouldn't tell us to do something if it was impossible for us to do it. Be holy, for I am holy. Sarah, tap my phone and tell me what verse is on the home screen. All right, everybody turn your Bible to Proverbs 12, 24. Y'all, I can't make this stuff up. This isn't something that I plan to say. This is a lifestyle. You have to be constantly, 100% of the time, living for God. You can't just prepare to live for him on Sunday. You can't just prepare to say something uh, that you think would sound like a cool speech and amaze people and make you sound smart. You have to live for God every single day of your life. So this verse has been on my home screen the last couple of weeks. It's important on my heart right now. It relates to what God wants us to all hear this morning. So this is what we're going to read. Proverbs 12, 24 reads as this. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. So everybody in here said they're Christian. But even as Christians, like I said, there's other factors and contributing factors that sneak into our decision-making processes, and even from good, well-meaning people. And I'll share one. Uh, this is not in the Bible. Idle hands are the devil's play toy. That is nowhere in the Bible. I don't even know if the word toy is in the Bible. Like, okay, that's, that's nowhere in the Bible. But it's a biblical principle. It really is. We just read in Proverbs 12, 24, work hard and become a leader, be lazy and become a slave. Well, to me, if I'm becoming a slave to something, as I'm a free man in America, what am I becoming a slave to? Sin. So if I'm lazy, that's when I'm going to start sinning. If I'm sitting around doing nothing, not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, that's when I'm about to start sinning. We see in the book of 2 Samuel, David, it was the time of the year when the kings were supposed to go out to war. What was David doing? He wasn't going out to war. He was being lazy. And that is when he committed adultery, took another man's wife, slept with her, got her pregnant, murdered him. Terrible stuff because he was being lazy. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand anything. I'm not talking about a works-based faith. What you do has nothing to do with your salvation. But if Jesus loves us so much, I feel like there's this misconception in the American Christian church that you don't have to do anything. That you're forgiven, and Jesus loves you, and there's grace. And that's it. And then if you read your Bible and you look in the Gospels, you're like, wow, Jesus showed up, and he's just telling people how it is. And he's chasing people off, and he's not running after people when they're not doing the right thing. And he come to divide families. You're like, what? this is the same Jesus that I hear people talking about all the time? Read your Bible. Because it's in here and it's real. And if I'm not saying, if what I'm saying isn't in the Bible, then don't listen to it. If what anybody is saying isn't in the Bible, don't listen to it. We've got to listen to God's word. So I'm not preaching a works-based faith. What I'm saying is that God has given us certain things to do. Too many people think, all right, I walked the aisle. I prayed the prayer. I'm good to go. When I ride in the car with my grandma, she plays Kirk Franklin. My auntie used to take me to church when I was a little kid. I prayed the prayer. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. My grandpa's an uncle. Uh, my grandpa's an uncle to somebody. My grandpa's a preacher. Okay? Too many people just think, hey, I'm saved. I'm here to tell y'all guys that I got some non-Christian friends that are nicer than some Christians I know. I'm just saying. 
I got a non-Christian friend that'll show up to my house early and help me do stuff and rearrange all my furniture and take care of me, and the Christians won't do it. I got non-Christian friends that'll walk down the hallway, smile at everybody, ask them how their day's doing, and the Christians just walking by with a scowl, not talking to anybody. I got non-Christian friends that'll go out of their way to help people, and the Christians won't do it. So I'm not preaching a works-based faith, but that's not what separates us from the world. What separates us from the world is a true and real relationship with Jesus. And as we're doing good deeds, we should be doing those in Jesus' name. Because otherwise, you're no different than a good Muslim. Good Muslim's going to do good things. He's going to help you. He's going to do awesome things. He's going to change the world. But you guys got to do it in Jesus' name. Don't just say that I'm going to show people my faith by my works. You got to show them by your works and by your mouth at the same time. There's got to be a balance. So in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Go read it right now. Make sure I'm not misquoting it. It says, For all have, H-A-V-E, sinned, S-I-N-N-E-D, and fallen, F-A-L-L-E-N, short of the glory of God. That is past tense. I haven't sinned in the last five minutes, have you? Maybe you have. You do not have to sin. You do not have to. Why would it be written in the Word of God that we can live holy and that we can be set apart, that we can be born again, that our old ways, our old sin is over with, and that we can be new creations if it was impossible? Now, trust me, I know it's hard. I just told you, Pastor Guy sins. I sin, but we're not caught up in the same sin doing it every single day. We're trying really, really, really hard not to. We're giving it to God because I know that I'm incapable of not sinning. I know the only way that I'm not going to sin is through his power and through his glory and through his grace. Now, some of y'all are probably on a whole nother level than me, and you've made it past the point where you're, you stopped going and doing bad things, so you're not doing those sins, but your sin is you're not going and doing good things. So see, there's two types. Of, there's a type of sin where I go out and do something bad, and there's a type of sin where I could have went and done something good, but I didn't. Okay? If you're getting fancy stuff, they're calling that. You've heard preachers say the sins of commission and the sins of omission. Sins you're committing and sins that you're omitting, that you're not doing. So today, I want to talk about some sins of omission, some things that we are not doing that we should be doing because every human being in this room told me that they are a Christian. So everybody turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to check out this whole chapter. Now before we get started, I feel like there's two types of people in the room right now. There's Christians that are really, really busy, and there's Christians that got free time, all right? So those of y'all that already have free time and you know you got times, you have time to read your Bible and pray and go to church and do what God wants you to do, y'all just hang tight with me so I can get everybody else on the same page as you, okay? My brother Joe's working overtime all day, every day. He's still the youth pastor he still goes down to the jail. He ain't been to Bible college. Mark, I'm pretty sure you're an Uber driver, right? Okay? Mark's out there working hard every day. He still has time to sing. Rick Parvin, he runs his own business. He's back there on the camera and the media and sound with us right now. Josiah works overnight from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. He is supposed to be asleep right now. I'm being like, this is the middle of the night to him. He got out of work at 6 a.m. and then comes here. That's why you guys don't see him every other week, because he's working and he's sleeping. But on the days that he's not working, he's coming here on this Sunday instead of sleeping. I'm saying that to say, y'all got time. Because the things I'm about to talk about, if I talk about these things and you say, I don't have time for that, then we're just wasting everybody's time and I'm wasting my breath. So I need to establish, first of all, that no matter how busy you are, 
you have time to do what God is showing you to do. Okay? So the number one reason why people don't go to the gym, they don't have time. Okay? But then busy, successful people working multiple jobs, 80 hours a week, they can still go in the gym every day for an hour if they want to. If that's a priority to them, they still make it happen. So we need to get that excuse out of our minds that says, hey, I don't have time to serve in a church. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. We need to get that stuff out of our minds. You have time for what is important to you. People will tell me, hey, I don't have time to come to a life group. But when it's a party on a Friday night, they got time. But they don't have time on the Wednesday night when we're talking about Jesus. So we need to understand that we have time for what we are supposed to do. And number one, we're supposed to be giving God the best of ourselves. And so to me, the way I translate that is if I don't do my stuff for God first, I don't have time for other things. So I wake up and I read my Bible and I pray in the morning. I'm not telling you guys to do that, but what I am telling you is you need to set a time. The past two weeks, I've asked like 15 different people, when do you read your Bible? Where do you read your Bible? And every person I talk to that is reading their Bible every day, they have an answer to those two questions. When are you reading? What time of day? Where are you? Are you in your bedroom? Are you in the kitchen? Are you at work? Are you in the car? Where are you? And what are you reading? How long are you reading? What verse are you reading? Are you in the New Testament and the Old Testament? What are you doing? They have answers to these questions. When I ask them, when do you read your Bible, and the people that say, oh, you know, when at, where I fit it in, whenever, at different times every day, they don't read it every day. And they're honest with me. They're like, they are not reading it every day. They're the ones. But the ones that tell me, hey, it's 10 o'clock every night after I went to work, after I did everything, that is when I'm reading my Bible. They are the ones that do it every day. So you have to have a plan. You have to have certain things set up in your life certain guidelines so you know what you are going to do before you get there. So in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. So the men of Kirith-Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Abinadab and ordained Eliezer, his son, to be in charge of it. The ark remained in Kirith-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. During that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. So, of course, uh, what we're having here is there's multiple battles and things that are taking place where the ark of the Lord, where God's presence is residing some of the time, is being moved around from country to country, from city to city, is being stolen, is being won back, is being taken back. And so right now it is not in the center of Israel where it needs to be. And the people of Israel actually feel like God has abandoned them because the ark is not there where it should be. In verse 3, then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So we have a lot to unpack in that verse about what God wants us to do in our day-to-day -day lives with him. He, so he told all the people of Israel, all of God's people, all the church, he said, if you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your idols. Get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Astros. So in order for us to turn our whole hearts to God, we got to get rid of our other gods. What is my other God? What am I putting all my time into? What am I putting all my focus into? Where is all my joy and fulfillment coming from? What would I rather do than read my Bible? You said I'd rather do just about anything than read my Bible. What is it that we need to get out of our way, that we need to get out of our heart, so that we can totally, fully, and completely turn towards God and turn our hearts toward Him? we got to get rid of those idols in our life. Whatever it is that we are spending time in, whatever it is that we are not supposed to be doing, whatever it is that is taking God's place in your heart. And like I said, this may not be something evil or something bad. It might just be a time waster. It might be something good, but it's just taking God's first place in your heart. 
What is it, and it's different for every person sitting in here, that's why I'm not getting into the specifics, what is it that you need to turn away from so that you can turn to God? What idol do you need to remove from your heart? It says, turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. And Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. So everybody in here, they said they're a Christian. They said they love Jesus. So that means we should be obeying his commandments. So we need to turn our hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. Who are the Philistines? The enemies. The Israelites' enemies. So before God is going to rescue you from your enemies, you have to turn your heart towards him. You have to get those idols out of your heart. You have to be obeying only God. Not obeying what the influencers are saying. Not obeying what the boss is saying. Not obeying what your friends are saying. Obeying only God. Then he's going to rescue you from your enemies. One of the number one reasons that people say they don't follow Jesus, I prayed something and he didn't answer my prayer. I prayed something, and he didn't answer my prayer. Well, how are you praying? He said that before he's going to deliver us from our enemies, that we need to turn our hearts to him and obey him alone and worship him alone and get all the other junk out of our life. See, if you're praying unbiblically, it's not going to come to pass. It's just simply not. We have to pray according to Scripture, according to the Father's will, not from a place of selfish motivation. We got to be praying for God's will to be done or your prayer is going to remain unanswered. And then it says that we have to turn our hearts towards God, stop following the other gods, stop following the other images, obey him alone. Then God is going to rescue us from our enemies. Verse four. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtaroth and worshiped only the Lord. So what are we going to do with this information? We have to act on it. We have to get rid of those idols that are in our life and only worship God. Stop worshiping yourself. You're not that strong. You're not that smart. You're not that pretty that you think you are. It's all from God. God is giving you your strength. God is giving you your appearance. God is giving you your brains. It's all from him. Stop worshiping those other things in your life. Worship only God. What is worship? It's what we're putting our time into. What are you putting your time into? That might be an idol. It might be. If you're not doing it for God's glory, if it's not what he's shown you to do, if he doesn't intend for you to spend that much time on it, that may be your idol, what you are putting all your time into, what you are worshiping. Verse 5, Then Samuel told them, Gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So we got to get rid of the idols in our life. We got to stop worshiping other gods. We got to turn our hearts totally and completely to God, obey his commands so that he will deliver us from our enemies, so that he will take care of our battles for us. And then what does Samuel tell them to do? He says, get everybody together, and I'm going to pray for you. It's like what we're doing today. We're all gathered together. Mizpah was the traditional meeting place for the Israelites. Where is the traditional meeting place for us in America? The church. We all need to get to church, get together, and then we need to pray. We need to pray with other people. But see, these spiritual formations that I'm talking about, these things like reading our Bible and praying and going to church, it has to be all day every day. It has to be by yourself. If I wasn't reading my Bible by myself, then I wouldn't have that Bible verse on my home screen to tell you guys that scripture I just shared with you. You have to be doing it all day, every day, not just in public. We're not just coming here to pray together. We're praying on our way here. We're praying here. We're praying when we leave. We're praying tomorrow. We're praying the next day at Tuesday night at 630. We're praying the next day, the next day, the next day. All day, every day. Verse 6, so they gathered at Mizpah, and in a great ceremony, drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. They also went 
without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. So we need to fast. We need to go without food. Just think to yourself, when was the last time that I fast? Jesus, God himself, fasted as an example for you and me to fast. Now I'm going to help you guys out again. We already removed the time excuse. No, we're, none of us are going to say, hey, I ain't got time for all this Jesus stuff, right? Well, I'm going to remove the medical excuse from you too. If you don't feel like medically or healthily that you can fast food for a whole day, you don't have to. Don't even fast food. Fast something else. You can fast your phone for 21 days. You can fast social media. You can fast TV. You can fast sugary drinks. You can fast whatever you want. You can fast caffeine. You can fast chocolate. You can fast whatever it is, whatever God plays on your heart, places on your heart. Seek him and say, God, what can I give up? Think about it. Maybe it's one of those idols. Maybe we can just start with that. What, what is something that we're putting way too much time into instead of putting time into God? Let's just start with that one. Let's just fast that and say, hey, I'm not going to do that for this many days. And instead, I'm going to spend that time praying and reading my word and seeking God. So we need to be in a constant state of fasting. I'm talking to these different ministers and these different professors, and they tell me how they're always fasting, how they set aside a weekend every month to fast, they set aside a month every year to fast, that they are always in some sort of fast. So I want to encourage you guys, we should always be giving something up to be closer to God. We're never going to be too close. We're never going to be too spiritual. We need to continue to get closer to God and give up everything else, totally and completely turn our hearts toward him. We need to stop eating so much food and praying so little. So then they said they went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. We got to confess our sins to each other. You got to tell somebody when you're not acting right. You need an accountability partner. Ooh, uh, accountability. Uh. I was talking to an awesome man of God the other day. And I'm not saying this sarcastically. He's an awesome man of God. And I asked him, when have you been reading your Bible? What time? Where were you? And he said, I haven't been reading my Bible. He was honest with me. Okay? And then I called him the next day. I said, hey, did you read your Bible? And he was honest with me. He said, hey, I spent some time with God. I was praying. I was doing this or that. I was, but I didn't read my Bible. And I said, all right, cool. Have a happy Thanksgiving. I'll talk to you later. Um, I called him the next day. He didn't answer the phone. Okay? I got another friend that is not a Christian that has read their Bible every single day for 14 days. Not a Christian. They're reading their Bible. Do you want accountability in your life? Are you that Christian I'm talking about that I got non-Christian friends living more Christ-like than you? And I'm, I'm on myself too because I've been off for the last nine days and I'm supposed to be in my word a certain amount of time and a certain length and a certain number of times every day that God has revealed to me and I've been lacking in that area. Now don't misunderstand me. I've read my Bible every single day. But I've been lacking in how many times I was supposed to read my Bible each day and how long I was supposed to read my Bible each day that God's revealed to me and how long he shows me to do it and how much he shows me to read and how many times a day might be different than you. He's probably going to tell you to read yours a whole lot more, okay? I was, I, man, I thought I was doing so good. I called up Joe. I said, Joe, I'm ready to brag. I'm ready. Y'all ever want to brag when you do the right thing? I said, Joe. Y'all know I didn't really want to brag, right? How much you been reading your Bible? I said, Joe, I've been reading my Bible three times a day. I said, I've been reading my Bible for like 40 minutes in the morning. I read it again after lunch when all my work is done, when everybody leaves me alone, all my meetings are over, and I read it again right before I go to bed. I'm like, Joe, you've been reading your Bible. 
He said, yeah, like four hours. I said, no, no, I'm just talking about like today and yesterday. He's like, yeah, four hours a day. Y'all got to get in your word. Joe knows what time he's going to read his Bible. He knows where he's going to be when he's reading his Bible, and he stays consistent with it. We need consistency. We need to stop committing those bad things, stop committing those sins, and stop canceling out the good things that we're supposed to be doing. Stop omitting those sins. We need to do the right thing. So when are you going to read your Bible? Where are you going to read your Bible? Who is somebody close to you in your life already that you have a good relationship with that can hold you accountable? Because if you just call up that person that, you know, maybe you only went to the life group like half the weeks this year because you really weren't feeling it. You didn't really want to go to life group this fall semester, so you came like every other week. And so you didn't really connect with anybody in the life group. You don't really know any of them. And you're just going to call them up today after church and be like, yo, I need an accountability partner. It's not going to work. I'm just going to be real with you. That's not going to be work. Who are you already close to? Who do you already have a relationship with? A friend, a family member. Who is somebody? And I'm not talking about a superstar, okay? Don't, don't call up Pastor Guy and ask him to be your accountability partner, all right? Like somebody that's already close to, somebody that you already have a relationship with, and say, hey, will you just hold me accountable on reading my Bible every day? And again, you guys say, oh, yeah, I, I want to read my Bible, but I don't have time to talk to somebody else. I have 30-second accountability phone calls. 30 seconds! Hey, how you doing? You accountable? Yeah, you accountable? You been reading your Bible? Yeah, you been sinning? No? All right, cool, have a good day. That was 10 seconds. Come on. Y'all got time for this. You got time for whatever you want time for. And then in that conversation, guess what? We going on, we talking about our jobs, we hanging out. We really on the phone for like an hour because we wanted to be. And then if there's time, you know, there might be a day where you really got to encourage one another and it might take a little bit longer. But that's once a week. Call one man once a week. Call one woman once a week if you're a woman and have that accountability partner. You need that in your life. We need certain things set up in our life so that we already know how to respond when we get into these situations. We need to be reading our words so we know the ethically and morally correct things to do in every situation because we have God's word inside of us and because we have God's spirit inside of us. If I don't already know how I'm going to respond in an adverse situation, I'm going to make the wrong choice in the heat of the moment. I have to already know what I'm going to do when I'm confronted with temptation or when I'm confronted with sin. I have to already know what I'm going to do. I have to already have things set in place. You can't leave these guidelines. At some beaches, have you ever seen the beaches where instead of just being able to swim, swim everywhere, they have a certain section roped off? And those ropes are floating on buoys. And that's the swimming area, right? So if you leave that area, there might be some people fishing. Um, you go out, there might be a, a stronger current. There might be sharks out there. Like, who knows what is in these other waters? And there is this safe area that the lifeguards say, hey, this is where you are allowed to swim. This is where it is safe. So, okay, so, you know, you take that for what it's worth, you take it at face value, and you say, okay, so as long as I stay in this area, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be fine, right? And the lifeguard goes, well, not quite, because there is still a slow current here. So if you go out into this water, and you're just treading water, and you're not moving around, you are slowly going to drift out to sea and get into the more dangerous waters. You might get caught up in a fishing line. Some large fish might approach you. You might get stung by a jellyfish. So when you're in this swimming area, you have to be actively swimming because otherwise you're going to drift off and you're going to float away. So it's not enough just to stay within these boundaries. You have to be exerting some energy within these boundaries. See, some of us sitting in here, we're already within the boundaries. We're like, hey, I'm, like, I'm trying not to sin. I'm trying not to do it. But we're not actively moving in the correct direction. So if we're just sitting 
in a stagnant faith, and we're just receiving this word that we're getting on Sunday morning, we're not going to receive from God the rest of the week. We're drifting away, and we're being pulled out into those waters where we're not supposed to be. So it's the same thing with our sin. It's the same thing with the spiritual formations that we're supposed to be doing. And everybody understands when I say these fancy words, spiritual formation, what that formation, forming something, spiritual, what God has given to us. So we are forming a correct relationship with God. We are doing the things that God has shown us to do. Like instead of a physical exercise, it's a spiritual exercise. So when I say spiritual formation, I'm talking about praying, reading our Bible, worshiping, witnessing to people, discipling people, being discipled, serving, helping people. Okay? So in these guidelines, we need to have this certain stuff set up. We need to have things in our lives where we know, hey, I'm not going to cross this line. Okay? I'm going to hang out with these guys that smoke weed, and I'm going to witness to them, and I'm going to minister to them when we're hanging out in the Arby's parking lot. But when they get in the car to hotbox the car, guess where I'm going to be? Not in that car. I'm not getting in there. Because if I'm sitting in a car with the windows rolled up and people smoking, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to get high. It don't matter if I smoke it or not. So you got to have certain things in your life where you say, hey, I'm going to, you know, like, yeah, this used to be a thing. I used to sin a lot. I used to get high a lot. I used to do a bunch of drugs. But I'm not really tempted with that anymore. I've been living for Jesus a long time. I know I'm not about to go do drugs today because I know how my life's going to turn out if I do it. So I'm comfortable standing around. In fact, that's what God uses me most of the time is getting, allowing me to minister to drug addicts. So I'm comfortable hanging out with these people and sharing Jesus with them, but I am not going to cross that line. They're not going to bring it into my house. I'm not going to be around them as they're actively doing it. They might have used it right before they come and see me, but I'm still there loving on them. So we need to have these buoys set up in our life where we say, hey, I'm not going to swim out past this point. I'm not going to allow the current to drag me out past this point because we know that everybody else is not living for Jesus the whole rest of the world. They want us to go that direction. They're pulling us like the current is pulling you if you're just treading water in the ocean. We need to have things set up in our lives where we say, hey, I'm not going to cross this line. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to do the wrong thing. If I don't already have it made up in my mind that I am not going to get into this car when people are smoking and I'm hanging out with friends and they're like, hey, jump in this car, we're doing it. In that instance, I might just follow along. So you got to already have it figured out before you get there. And you guys know where you struggle. You guys know where you sinned in the past. You guys know where your temptations are. So think about that. Hey, when this comes up, just think about it today. How am I going to address that? What is my response going to be? Because if you're not prepared now, you're not going to be prepared then. If you're sitting here right now and you're like, hey, I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to do the next time this happens to me. And it might just not smoking weed, it's something else. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to respond. You're going to respond the wrong way because you don't know the right way. So think about it. If you need help, talk to me, talk to somebody. I'll help you come up with a solution and a plan of what to do when these things are going to come against you. So we got to have guidelines set up in our life. we got to turn our hearts towards God. we got to not be worshiping other gods. we got to not have other idols. We need to be fasting. We need to be confessing our sins to each other. Because when we confess our sins to each other, Jesus is healing us and Jesus is forgiving us. It is very, very important. Everybody feels like they are alone in sin. The enemy wants you to think that you are alone. You need to know that there are other people in the ocean getting dragged away by the current just like you. If you guys would make a decision today, swim, Rick, swim, paddle, row, come on. You got to encourage each other and get each other going. Don't let your friend drown. You got to have the buddy system. Don't leave your buddy. Verse 7, when the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that with the Lord our God, or when they learned the Philistines were approaching. Excuse me, I started to skip a line. So, when you gather together with other Christians, when you get an accountability partner, when you go to church, when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you're making an impact for the kingdom of God, you're going to be attacked. 
When the kings of the enemy nations heard this, they mobilized the army. They started sending the troops out. They started sending the demons out. The devil's like, I'm going for him now. I'm stopping him. So if you're being attacked, it's weird to say, but that's a good thing because that means you're making a difference for God. If all I did was sit on my couch all day and play video games, I'd never get attacked. I just enjoy a quiet life with nothing crazy going on. But you're getting attacked because you're making an impact for the kingdom of God. It's coming. You are going to be attacked. So prepare yourself. Do these things. Set up these guidelines. Get filled with God's word. Get filled with God's spirit. So you are ready when the attacks come. But it says that they were frightened. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. So since they were frightened, they said this to Samuel. They said, don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines. They begged Samuel. So we got to pray. We got to pray for God to take care of us during those attacks. God's never lost. Nobody's bigger. Nobody's stronger. God's never lost a battle. I don't think he's going to start losing battles today. So whatever is coming against you, God is there with you, no matter how terrible it may seem. And you might think, hey, I'm not seeing a victory. I've been praying for this for seven years. Well, how long were the Israelites wandering in the wilderness? Come on now. A long time. Many, many, longer than I've ever been alive. A long time. So you think, hey, I've been praying for something, waiting for it to happen. It hasn't happened. God is still there with you. And again, are you praying according to his will? And if you are, you need patience. You need patience. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. So what does our response need to be when we're getting attacked? We need to make offerings to God. We need to make sacrifices to God. When we're being attacked, what can we give to God? What can I offer to him? What can I sacrifice to him? Because in verse 10, just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. When your enemies see you getting attacked and you choose to make offerings and sacrifices instead, they're going to be confused. I don't get it. They're attacking this guy. They're tearing him down. They're trying to destroy his life. And he's just worshiping and praising Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. They're going to get confused and you're going to have the victory. But if you get attacked and you're afraid and just run away, you're not going to have the victory. You got to offer everything to God. You got to make sacrifices to God and confuse your enemy. The enemy isn't going to understand why you still have joy in your heart. And while you're still living for Jesus and offering him your whole self when you're being attacked, that is how you are going to overcome. Verse 10. I already read. Verse 11. I'm going to read now. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to, place, to a place below Bethkar, slaughtering them all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshana. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. Every person in here raised their hands and said, hey, I'm a Christian. Well, if you're a Christian, I'm going to guess that you're a Christian because God's already done something in your life. God's already helped you. God's already showed up some type of way at some point in time. We need to set up reminders in our life to remember just how good he is and just how far he has brought us. In the Old Testament, they set up these monuments. They built these stone structures. He's placing these stones here. We just read as a reminder for the day that God defeated their enemies for them. I'm not saying you got to go throw a bunch of big rocks in your backyard. I'm saying like, what can you set up in your life as a reminder? Like, hey, you remember those times Jesus healed me? Jesus has miraculously healed me so many times in my life. When I share healing testimonies, I don't even talk about half of them. Okay? 
What about all the times that Jesus just showed up and showed out in your life? What about just the simple fact that he made you and he loves you and he saved you and he took care of you? Like, where are our reminders in our lives about all the wonderful, beautiful things that God has given us? You need to have reminders. That way you are thinking on these good things and you're not thinking about the current attack. You're not thinking about that attack that just came. That way you know when that attack's coming and you're praising him, you're making offerings, you're making sacrifices, you know that he's always taking care of you. Might not have been the way you wanted. Might not have been the time you wanted. But it was always in his will. He's making all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his name. In Romans 8.28. So then in the second half of that verse... It says, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. So if God has gotten us this far, why would we take it into our own hands now? If we've known that following Jesus is what changed my life, it was what made me a new creation, it pulled me out of the things I used to do, pulled me out of my old ways, why would I stop following him now? Say, hey, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. Why would I stop reading it now? I know I'm supposed to go to church. Why would I stop going to church now? I know I'm supposed to pray and fast. I'm supposed to confess my sins to people. I'm, have to, I'm supposed to be discipled by other Christians. I'm supposed to help other Christians. I'm supposed to have these people around me, helping me, holding me accountable. Why would I stop doing it now? He's gotten us this far, up to this point. The Lord has helped us. Verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't invade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. So God's hand was raised against their enemies for the rest of his life. I can't do it on my own. I'm nothing I'm the worst person in the world. I'm not just saying that. Like, I'm a jacked up person. None of you guys wanted to know me nine years ago. It's terrible. They probably didn't want to know me nine years ago. It's bad. I'm the worst person in the world. I can't make it on my own. I'm not strong enough, smart enough, good enough, nothing. I know I need God on my side. Acts 1 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you want God's hand raised against your enemies for the rest of your lifetime? Because your enemies aren't going to quit. This world isn't going to stop coming at you. The attacks aren't going to start coming at you. The dark forces of evil aren't going to stop coming against you. You need God's help. You need God's spirit. You need to continue to work out your faith and get stronger spiritually doing these things we're talking about. Read your Bible. When am I going to read my Bible? Where am I going to read my Bible? How long? What am I going to read? Pray. How long am I going to pray? How long am I going to pray in English? How long am I going to pray in tongues? Have an accountability partner. When am I going to talk to them? Is it every Monday at 4 p.m.? And I, am I going to call them on their way home from work? Who am I going to talk to? When am I going to go to church? Where am I going to go to church? I think you already know the answer to that one. That one's easy. We checked that off the list. We're already here. Keep doing that. Don't just tread water. Don't just drift away. What am I going to offer to God? What idols am I going to get out of my heart? How am I going to turn my whole heart to God and worship him? What gods have I been following that I'm going to stop following? Is it the God of myself? Is it the God of money? Is it the God of my time, of my hobbies? What is it? We need to do these things. We need to continue to turn towards the Lord so that he will be on our side the rest of our lives. And again, I don't want you to misunderstand. This has nothing to do with our works, our righteousness is filthy rags. Nothing we can ever do is ever good enough. But God has still given us a part to play in relationship with him and our life here on this earth. 
Because how is anybody ever going to hear if nobody is sent? Who's going to go? Who's going to go deliver the message and tell people about Jesus? It's supposed to be me, right? It's supposed to be all of us. But how am I going to tell them about Jesus? If I haven't been listening to him, I don't know what to say. If I haven't been reading my Bible, how am I going to reach my coworker? That might be that guy that's my friend who's not a Christian, and he's read his Bible every day. He's more Christian than me. What am I doing? What part am I playing in my relationship with God? Where do I need to step it up a little bit? Where am I already doing good? So I want to encourage everybody to reflect upon that and make active decisions and changes in your life today. What are you going to do to get closer to God? Remember that Jesus' sacrifice is already complete. Romans 5.8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when we were still sinners. It's got nothing to do with what we do. It's not a works-based faith. Jesus loves us so much that as we were sinning, he still died for us, even though we were still living in sin. We were actively working against him, fighting him, spitting in his face, killing him, and he still died for us. He still loves us that much. So it's nothing to do with how good you are. It's nothing to do with how much you read your Bible, how long you read your Bible, where you read your Bible. Jesus already finished it. But if you really raise your hand and say, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, then you should be obeying his commandments. And we should believe that this word is true and that we no longer have to carry on in the sin of doing bad things and the sin of not doing good things. Let's pray, church. Jesus, I thank you so much for encouraging us this morning. I pray that it would be an encouragement that we wouldn't leave this place beating ourselves up, saying we're not good enough and we're not spending enough time reading our Bible and praying and we're not hanging around with enough Christians. But I pray that we would leave this place today just being thankful for your love and thankful that you've placed us in a position in our life where we have time to pray. We have time to read our Bibles. We have places we can go and people that we get to share your love with. And I thank you for this, Father God. I thank you that you would continue to correct us and strengthen us and put us on your path and on your course and keep us within the guidelines that you have for us. And I pray that we would all make active decisions and choices to do the right thing and to live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.